Hey everyone, it's the audio editor. This is part two of the Unit 1 AP World podcast, so if you haven't listened to part one of that, go take a listen, but if you hear from part one, here's the podcast. All right, so the Mayan government was basically um, a king and then there was their cities, and they rarely fought to gain territory, but um, they gained tributes and payments from the conquered, and their government was surprisingly decentralized. And that kind of caused a couple of problems with a huge empire and therefore led to its fall. Now, um, religion played a pretty big role in my life and had a lot of ceremonies and festivals. So, and the war captives, uh, where are we? Yeah, we're in Mayans. Um, Mayan science and culture developed very similar to the Greeks. And now we are going to the Aztecs. Now, the Aztecs are known as the very brutal kind of uh, Indians. I'm not sure as to was it because of historical accounts that led to their them thinking they were brutal, or was it actually that they were brutal? Anywho, the Aztecs were also known as the Mexicas. They were hunter-gatherers, and they founded the big land, water-based land known as Tenochtitlan, and it was built on an island in the middle of swamps, and it grew to about 200,000 people. It was pretty large, and um, they had a, a they built um, agricultural structures known as chinapas to increase the food production. And they dug ditches to lake, for lakes and then irrigation systems, which was pretty advanced technology during back then. And they had a tributary system that allowed it basically to collect a, to collect a lot of tributes from conquered states by assigning um, them themselves. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't need um, direct administrative control, which was pretty good back then. And they were very theocratic and they were ruled by religious leaders and they had a they had a system um the religion was pretty complex and they worshipped a lot of deities and, and um they had a lot of well here's the big part about the aztecs they had a lot of sacrifices they would kill um, a lot of people it was a repayment and an atonement to their sins um they had a political component which basically said, I am the best guy out there, I am the Aztecs. And then that came from, the, and when the Spanish came along and they heard this, they were like, I'm going to take you then. I'm going to take you down. You guys are barbarians. You're killing me here and there. It's not okay. And because of, their, because of how they function, that's, that led to them, their downfall. And the Aztecs were kind of behind on technology compared to the Spanish, which already had guns. And the Aztecs basically had very primitive weapons. And their commitment to the military expanded more and more as more land was conquered. So the government, the central government, couldn't reach all of these conquered territories. And a lot of these tribes that were previously conquered were ready to rebel at any time. And that caused it to fall. Plus, with the Spanish invasion of the Aztecs weakening the government system, it all collapsed. And now we talk about the Incan and Incan Empire. So for the Incas, um, in 1438, Pacahachu conquered tribes near Cuzo, Peru, which is how the Inca Empire just was how it is today, or in history. And its government was split up into four provinces that each had their own government, um, bureaucracy, conquered leaders, show loyalty, and they were rewarded for showing loyalty. They didn't have to trade um, tribute for conquered people 
What they did have to do labor via the MIAI system, which is mandatory public services, which men provided um, agriculture and other labor, such as construction. And Inca is known as the people of the sun because they are very religious, very like appreciative of their god called the Intis, the sun god, which is the most important god, hence is why they're called the people of the sun. An important element is that they honor the sun, royal ancestor penetration, and the temple of the sun, which is the core of the Inca religion, and press was consulted for important actions as it was they were very religious towards the sun god. And their religion also included animalism, which is a belief elements of the physical world could have supernatural powers, such as the river, which these objects were called hukat. And the cause for their design was also because of the Spanish conquistadors. And for the Incas, it was Francisco Pizarro's. And the civil war for this was caused because Paca Hichu's grandson, Paca Anya Kapak, because after he died, there was a lot of um, war about civil war about like who could, you know, be success, be the next king, next ruler, which just made it easier for the conquistadors to just like take over that part of the area. And now we're going to move on to 1.5 state building in Africa. So now we are going to move to Africa. Now that's a big continent down, down over in the middle of the entire earth. And so there was this one scholar from Islam known as Ibn Battuta. Now he went over to um, Africa to help trade. And um, he spread his religion, he spread his religion, which is Islam, over to Africa. And um, some people, some people in Africa resisted it, others accepted it. Notable sections that could, that had um, Afri- that had Africa, the notable sections of Africa that accepted Islam were North Africa and um, East Africa. Uh, East Africa accepted more Christianity, which we will get into later. Now, m- more important ones: the Hausa ethnic tribes that were down over in the middle of the Africa. Um, they were around somewhere around Nigeria, and they formed seven states, and they were bonded through kinship. Just means familial ties. They had families, and um, they traded through the route known as the Trans-Sahara um, trade network, and, and that will be covered in Unit Two. Now, um, now we move on all the way over to the Ghana Kingdom, and the Ghana, which is not from the Ghana we have right now, it's a lot different. And um, it was between the Sahara and tropical rainforests of West African coasts. So you can imagine there's tropical rainforests over in West Africa. And um, it was approximately around the 5th century. And um, they sold gold and ivory to Muslim traders in exchange for salt, copper, cloth, and tools, which were essential back then. Now we move on to the Mali. Now the Mali, they had some, they basically took over the Ghana after neighboring states started fighting for the Ghana kingdom. And Mali took that advantage and established their own kingdom over Ghana. And the ruler Sondiata was Muslim and used this connection to help establish trade with North Africa and Arab merchants that were also um, Muslim. And they had a lot of gold under Sondiata's rule, which increased the wealth of the Mali extremely by true measures. Um, now we move on to Zimbabwe, which is over at the East Africa, which had a lot of wood um, constructed houses. 19th century chiefs were. Um, Basically, the word Zimbabwe um, meant dwelling, 
Um, they were the most powerful of all the Eastern kingdoms in the 12th to 15th century. And it was between the Zambezi and the Limpopo rivers in modern-day Zimbabwe and Mozambique. And they were very prosperous over agriculture, trade, and gold. So they, were, they had a lot, a lot of gold from taxing yeah, um, the Indian Ocean trade because they were right next to the Indian Ocean. Um, the Great Zimbabwe was a defensive wall that kind of split Zimbabwe from the rest of society. And as you can know, they prospered very well, but unfortunately they ran out of foods and people just started leaving, the, leaving that place. And it later died off. And Christianity now spread into Ethiopia, which is also part of East Africa. Islam weakened Christianity in Africa a lot. But the new kingdom, known as, Ethi as um, the Ethiopians, welcomed the Christianity and they expressed, these rulers expressed it through their architecture. And the new leaders in Ethiopia made two, made massive churches made of rock. And their religion, the Christianity, fused with um, Ethiopia, Ethiopian native traditions, and created this special form of Christianity practiced by Ethiopians. Um, social structures of sub-Saharan Africa mainly are basically kinship, so kin's family members and stuff. Men had their own roles. Women had uh, more care family caretaking. Men had uh, more um, activities like tanning. One big thing about their trade is that they had slaves, and that was very popular because that basically um, gave Africa a lot of its wealth other than just from gold and ivory. And because it was basically labor, a lot of people wanted to buy it, especially Arabs and um, over, and this created a big Indian Ocean slave trade between East Africa and Southwest Africa, and it was basically it caused a lot of uh, issues, such as the Zanj Rebellion. And we will not go into any uh, further about the Zanj Rebellion, and instead we are going to go to the Griots. Now, the Griots were part of their culture. Um, they basically told stories through vocal, through oral. Um, history and um, there are a couple there are a couple of them that I can't list right now but they were a very they were their way of keeping track and keeping records of history. And now we move on to 1.6 which is developments in Europe. 1.6 developments in Europe. So we're gonna start over the political and social systems of Europe, which is feudalism, which is like a political organization or like a system based on exchange of land for loyalties. Because Europe was lacking a strong government, so people need protection from bandits, rival lords, and invaders such as Vikings from Northern Europe. And the core of feudalism was a monarch, a king, which granted lands to fiats or lords. And in return, in return, these lords will become a king's vassal, a person who owns service to other persons of higher status then the lords would just like carry along their ways and just like provide land to knights and that knights would become vassals to the lord so instead of being like a king's so it's like vassal to vassal to vassal and they pledged to fight for the lord or their king and the lords provided land and production for the peasants but in return the peasants were obligated to farm the lord's land and provide the lord with crops and livestock and they had to obey their orders which is kind of comparable to being like an indentured servant but like very indentured and for those peasants although it like also had some security for those peasants the entire system was also based on 
agriculture, but wealth was measured in land rather than cash. So the peasants had land to farm, a place to live, but it didn't really seem fair to them. And the feudal system also had, there was a knight code called like chivalry, which is like conduct for honor. So yeah, we're going to move on to the manuro system. So the manuro system was an economic economics, self-sufficiency, and defense. So the manure would produce everything for those people living on it required, like which limited trade and contact with outsiders, which is why, um, back to what we said about the, the causes of Silk Roads, how the Crusades and Europe caught up, which is about 2.1, but this will all make sense after um, Unit 2. So the manure grounds were small villages, which often included a church, a blacksmith shop, a mill, and wine presses. And there included homes, which were of these peasants or serfs. And while these serfs were not enslaved, they were tied to the land. So kind of think of indentured servants, but like just serfs. And they could marry without their lords. They, they, they were really restricted. They couldn't marry without their lord's approval. And they couldn't even travel without permission. So just think about like being like really, really, really tied. Just having like no freedom at all. But in exchange for that protection or, and that like lord controlling of the manure, they were able to pay, they had to pay also paid in tribute in form of crops or in rare cases, coins. And it's kind of like the children of those peasants also became peasants, which is very sad if you think about it, since they, the only right that they had was just to farm on their land and just like work to live. But these serfs also did agriculture, and they had this type of system called the three fields system. So these fields would be rotated one by one. So the first field was planted with wheat or rye, so that provided food. The second field was planted with lume, such as peas and beans, so that soil would be more fertile by adding nitrogen. And the third field would just be unused each year, so then they could just like rotate those fields and just like be reusing those soil. And we're going to move on to political trends in the later Middle Ages. And we're going to start over by talking about England and France, since those were really main and part of the Middle Ages. And monarchs really grew powerful at this time where feudal lords were employing their own military and bureaucracy. So in France, King Philip II ruled, well, he was the first to develop a real bureaucracy but it wasn't until the fourth Philip that ruled where estates in general were met and where these estates so general, they weren't like houses or anything. They were like a body of people that included representatives from each classes, such as nobles, clergy, and commoners. And sometimes the kings didn't really like use it very well. They didn't like exact taxes on two upper states just to get it on their good side, the nobility and clerics. So you could say that it didn't really do anything at all. They had no little, little power, which kind of led up to the French Revolution in 1789, which will get really late further in the later units. And another important thing is the Holy Roman Empire, which their German king was called Odo I. And there was a power struggle between his like later successors called the Lay Investor Controversy. And this distribute was whether a non-religious leader rather than a, than a pope should inherit, invest on the bishops with the symbols of office, which kind of led to the whole, the 30-year war, war, 
And that empire came to an end where the French leader Napoleon Bonaparte invaded Central Europe in 1806. And Thirty Year War was basically just a fight between, like, as you can say, should is it based on the non-religious leader or the Pope to invest bishops in office or remain authority? And we're going to move on to England. So a thing you should remember, it's very important, it's called the Magna Carta, which required the king to respect certain rights, as like the right to a jury trial before a noble could be sentenced to prison. And this was when, when many English nobles were ejected to the power of William, King William, and they succeeded. And because and because of that, the nobles were forced limits on their power. So in 1215, they forced King John to sign that Magna Carta, and they also won the right to be consulted on the issue of scritage, which is a tax paid on a knight who wanted to pay money instead of providing military service. Another thing is that the first English parliament, which you can also see today, was founded in 1265, and they secured the rights of the English nobility, but not of the general population. And in that English parliament, there was the House of Lords, which represented nobles, the church, and the House of Commons. Another thing is the, the Hundred Years' War, which happened between 1337 and 1453, where um, England and France fought a series of conflicts, which wasn't very like successful to the English because they only got the port of palace in France. But the important results of the war was that in each side, they spoke like a unity of the distinct languages and dialects, such as English and French, so like very distinct. And it also demonstrated the use of um, gunpowder weapons. And we're gonna go, we're gonna move on from that and go on to the Roman Catholic Church, which in 1054, the what happened was something called the Great Schism. So it was just like a split between the Christian Church in Europe into the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. So we're gonna move on from that, and we're gonna go on to the effect of Crusades. Because the fact that crusades are something very important about society. So the Christian crusades were about their fight about trying to recomplete Palestine or like the Holy Land. And it was a series of military campaigns back and forth into the Middle East. And that those crusades really shaped politics. Because there were tensions between popes and kings to strengthen the intention of the Roman Catholic Church to take control. And the effect of these crusades was that during their missions throughout going to the Middle East, they realized how behind they were compared to the rest of the world. Like, they didn't really have any different spices, they didn't have any, like, intellectual knowledge. And it wasn't until they went on those crusades to explore different parts of the world rather than just Europe, they realized how behind they were. And a little bad part about these Middle Ages were that is where this is where anti-settlism just became widespread throughout Christians. And many thought that Jews were outsiders and untrustworthy, and they were expelled from England in 1290, France in 1394, Spain in 1492, Portugal in 1497, and various kingdoms and cities in northern and central Europe. And they've been really, um, their numbers decreased because these Jews that were expelled usually moved to Western Europe. Okay, and we're going to move on to Muslims. Muslims also faced discrimination. The Spanish king expelled remaining Muslim in the kingdom who would not convert to Christianity, and many Muslims moved to southeastern Europe 
So there was a lot of movement during these times because of discrimination based on their religion. Because as you know, Europe was very um, based toward Christianity and Catholicism. And furthermore, we're going to go on to the Renaissance, which happened in Europe. So the Renaissance was a period where interest on classical, Greek and Roman literature, art, culture, just like prospered. And during this time, um, Jonas Gutenberg, the movable printing press, was like a revolution in printing technology and many manuscripts, many books were able to foster a growth in literacy, literacy and spread ideas. So one characteristic of the Renaissance was an interest in humanism, which focused on individual rather than God. And these humanists sought education and reform. So they write about literatures, and there were many cultural exchanges in the Renaissance, such as increase of vecular language, was propelled with the rise of our powerful monarchies. And there, we could compare this by Southern Renaissance and Northern Renaissance. So Southern Renaissance was based on Italy and Spain. So the church Prendergast supported this Renaissance, and Dante Alighieri was a writer who wrote the Divine Comedy, which features hell, purgatory, and heaven. But his fearful listeness in criticizing corrupt religious officials and his willingness to use Italian vecular instead of Latin just increased his dependence from the Roman Catholic Church, which was a very like big breakout because during those times Europe was really focused on church and they really relied on the church to like manifest their like opinions, their thoughts. But through this Renaissance, they were able to like break away from like their like I guess puppeteer. And for the Northern Renaissance, which is like based on Northern Europe, many Renaissance artists like emphasize Pate in their work and human concerns, such as Gregory Chester, who wrote the Canterbury Tales in 1930s, which portrayed just like a bit of life for the middle class. And his satire writing really portrayed mocks love hunting and over sentimental nuns. So. Thank you everyone so much for watching. Make sure to like, subscribe, and share with all your friends. And be sure to check out our notes, which is very, very well written. So they'll provide you more information. And bye. See you guys next time. See you guys.